when they started using Solver, uh, and then they learned from it, and they, uh, they became the best in the world. What's up, everybody? Today we've got a bit of a unveiling, uh, a little bit of a secret revealing of someone who's been in the background of poker, of some of the biggest high-stakes players helping with some solvers and sims for some of the high-stakes games, and a bit of a wizard on the, on the programming side of things, especially for poker, and understands it well enough to make real solvers and things of the sorts, the uh, self-proclaimed priest of Nash Equilibrium. What's up, Oleg? Uh, I understand you've worked for, well, I mean, I know that you've worked a little bit for uh, True Teller himself and myself, actually, and also uh, for Raul Gonzalez. Maybe even others, I don't know. But uh, these ones I do know. And yeah. those are some big names to work with. Uh, don't mean to brag, but let's see. Uh, I think it's obvious. Anyway, what do, you, what do you have to say for yourself as the priest of Nash Equilibrium? Thanks for having me, Daniel, and uh, may GTO be with you. Yes, I worked with uh, with Trutar and with Raul Gonzalez, indeed, and uh, with, uh, well, uh, with some other people who I want to remain anonymous. Like by default, my customers want to remain anonymous. So uh, I'm grateful to those who allow to mention them. All right, cool. Um, well, you could mention myself also. Uh, so why don't you tell us a bit about how you got into this, especially for poker software as well, because it's a you know, it's kind of a niche thing to do, and it's hard to solve some of these poker things. Um, maybe, yeah, I mean, why not go into, like, typical computer solving or stocks or things of that nature or whatever? Uh, so I was playing poker professionally myself. Uh, I learned about poker in 2008, uh, and uh, I was studying math at university at that time, and um, we studied uh, Nash Equilibrium and Nash Theorem, and it was obvious that poker, one-on-one -on -one poker, has Nash Equilibrium, and it always um, fascinated me that there is this optimal, unbeatable strategy, and uh, for a long time I had no idea how to calculate it, because the tools available uh, at that time were only able to calculate Nash equilibrium for trivial preflop situations. Um, there was a was a tool called uh, Stocks EV, um, mm -hmm. and um, I also did uh, programming competitions in school. So I thought of myself as pretty good programmer, but I still had no idea how to write a program that will calculate the Nash equilibrium. But uh, 
yeah, so I just played poker myself for three years. It took me a while to figure out. Uh, so at first I came up with my own homebrew algorithm that calculated the Nash equilibrium and uh, like it worked for river or maybe for turn, but um, it didn't work from flop at all. And then mm. I looked up academic publications about um, uh, Nash equilibrium and poker and uh, turns out there are academic papers and uh, very smart people, mostly from University of Alberta, uh, came up with algorithms. And uh, eventually I was able to implement them. And the beauty of Nash equilibrium is that it is hard to find, but once you have it, it is easy to verify that it is indeed the Nash equilibrium. How do you verify so, it so easily then? Yeah, well, uh, if you have the strategy for your opponent, then you can calculate best response to it quite easily because if your opponent's strategy is fixed, then with every hand, you can see expected value of each action and always pick the most profitable one. And the property of Nash equilibrium is that if you calculate best response, uh, best response to it, then it does not actually beat it. And you can see the distance. You can see how much the best response wins against the strategy. And if you're close to Nash equilibrium, then best response to it wins very little. Right, right. Well, I would think that to get the process of you know, creating the best response to something is not easy. I would think that if you can like make the best response to something, like you already like that's already like pretty powerful. That that means you know you don't even like need natural equilibrium in a way. You just say okay, this person's doing this, and I'm going to make the best response to it. This is what I think they're going to do, right? Like why not just like go straight up to the exploit exploitative route? Am I missing something here? Yeah, uh, yeah, you do because when you're playing against an actual human player, you don't mm -hmm. have access to his strategy. You you can only guess and it's impossible to write it down, right? Because sure. poker strategy has, um, well, it depends on um, how many sizings you do allow, but mm -hmm. poker strategy has millions and billions of uh, parameters. So well, it's impossible to write it down. See, this is, okay, so I want to talk a little bit about what I do, what I've noticed for a second. Um, I've noticed that the there seems to be like only a cluster I mean, actually, it's true in real life too. But there's only a cluster of like viable options that are really that different from each other. The kind of um, they just the possibilities kind of like cluster around each other. And there's only really like I don't know like like thirty total lines really if you count like all the the small bet bet like third on third pot or over bet or whatever it is. Like you get it's definitely feasible to work through them all. And secondly, um, you can no, kind of no. There are thirty lines, but then there are two thousand uh, turn and river combinations, and then oh, yeah, yeah. you have uh, two hundred hands. Uh, yeah, oh. it's too much. Even those you can cluster quite a bit. I mean, you, when I play, for sure, I don't like think to myself. It's probably like you know ten different flops or whatever it is, maybe a bit more, but like they don't change too too much. I mean, there's nuance to each of them, of course, and that's where the real understanding comes. 
Um, all right, well, I, I want to just mention one more thing. Uh, it's that you can't predict your opponent's strategy totally, and I definitely use GTO quite a lot myself, but you can... Um, a lot of people do have, like, I've noticed there's very strong population tendencies, and I tend to account for those more myself and then resort to GTO when for all the spots where I can't pick for situations. But uh, otherwise, yeah, uh, yeah, GTO, especially for, like, limit games, there's not a whole really good luck with like, figuring out too many exploits for that yeah, one. Yeah, then, and another thing about best response is that uh, best response is extreme. Let's say you're able to write down uh, the strategy of your opponent and it turns out that he overfolds slightly, like he overfolds 3% compared to the optimal. The best response is going to bluff every hand because that's the best response. And uh, yeah, well, does it make sense to you? Yeah, I, I guess that makes sense. But well, actually, no, it doesn't because... I would think to myself, okay, well, yeah, I could bluff like this every time, but maybe they overfold even harder, you know, based on the permutations that come out later. So, like, maybe I would say, okay, well, yeah, I would overbluff a little bit, but because I know he folds, like, really, really hard when, you know, it just goes, like, check, check, and then he checks again or whatever, then I might bluff harder, you know, now start really taking the, you know, the hard exploiter yes, route. Yes, you're not going to bluff 100% um, on the flop necessarily, but for example, on the river, best response is probably going to bluff 100%. Oh, I see that, yeah. That's because there's no and, further, you know, possibilities. But if there are further yeah. possibilities, you need to compare, you know, to go through all the little, like, trees to see what's actually better. Yeah. So, like, best response, it's uh, it's... It's useful to measure quality of Nash equilibrium approximation, but for the actual play, um, like it's it's not practical to to apply it, and then the results are not going to be useful anyway. Sure, sure. Okay. Well, why don't you tell us about uh, when did you actually make the first solver? Were you like one of the first guys who made a made well how early to the game were you were you like one of the first ones to the hold'em scene of making solvers uh to the best of my knowledge i made the first solver for no limit hold'em it was really? early 2013 uh there oh, were really? academic programs like there there is um annual computer competition for ai in poker and so some programs were, were created to particip participate in that competition, but uh, to the best of my knowledge, there were no software you could study with. And so you made a solver, but you couldn't really study with it. It wasn't visible what, what was going on. Yeah, so uh, first, so when I did, uh, um, so I was struggling to calculate the Nash equilibrium, the strategy itself, and uh, once, uh, I got that working. I started to uh, market it to uh, customers. I, I approached uh, high-stakes poker players one by one. And uh, initially, I thought that I already have the product, right? Because this is the Nash Equilibrium strategy, and you could view it like uh, you could view a chart for every spot. But 
I quickly learned that it is not enough to have the strategy. You need to have a good interface. Uh, so the first thing uh, Alex Miller uh, asked for is um, to allow to play against strategy because uh, people learn by playing. Um, and then uh, my customers did a lot of requests, like they have a question and they want an answer, like what is the like total percentage across every turn uh, with this hand? It's really useful. I mean, I, I don't even, I mean, keep going, but let's revisit that question. Um, yeah. Uh, not everything they asked uh, they asked uh, turned out to be very useful, but um, there were plenty of features that uh, we developed. Sure. Okay, well, what kind of results um, did people see with these solvers? The results in Hold'em were hard to measure because uh, Alex Miller, Raul Gonzalez, Truteller, all of them were already extremely good so so for for no limit results are hard to measure but we had uh, one and a half years contract and uh, well they were happy enough with the product to keep to keep paying for it every month and uh, yeah i think they uh, they moved up slightly like in stakes and confidence and they started to fight more pros uh, I didn't know that there were solvers out this early for the No Limit games. I heard some stories, but uh, at some point I became aware of some ranges that seemed to be pretty close to what came out to previous solvers. Although, um, or I mean, it's one of the more public versions of the solvers, I should say. Uh, and so what uh, was everyone... Like, did everyone, was everyone like 100% on board with the whole idea that solvers were good? Was it just always like people just committed to them 100% or what? No, it was, uh, it was a long proce process because in 2012, uh, many people, well, there is an infamous topic on 2 plus 2 in 2012 or maybe 2013 where people argue whether Nash Equilibrium exists in No Limit Hold'em heads up. Oh yeah, I remember this. This was the stupidest thing. I mean, it was yeah. pretty obvious that uh, yes, it exists. Um, but people argue like really stupid point of views without really knowing things quite a bit. Um, why don't you go into that? Tell me more about that. I have a Tom Dwan story related to this, by the way. The 2 plus 2 topic I'm referring to, it was uh, with Tom Dwan. Tom Dwan. Like, didn't didn't you offer him a bet about... No, uh, someone, else did, someone else did. So uh, someone else offered to bet him about Nash Equilibrium. I learned about this later, by the way. I heard it more from the source. Uh, I heard it from... Um, I forget, actually, I forget who I heard it from, but uh, someone who started a hedge fund uh, in New York. I remember this. I looked at their hedge fund, but I need to uh, find them out. I find out their information again. But they told me that Tom had a bet and then Tom hired this dude, Ishan, who was an MIT mathematician, Ishan Chuk, something like that. He was an Indian, I've met him, to prove that Nash Equilibrium does not exist in poker. He paid him about $5,000. So what ended up happening was Ishan came back to him and said, um, 
Tom, you're wrong. Uh, sorry. And t so Tom did not bet, and Tom gave the guy $5,000. That's the story. Oh, that's, that's smart of Tom. He did the research before the bet. Well, that's uh, too bad he's not as smart as some other bets I've heard that he's made that were a bit more special. Uh, I've, actually, I guess I can... I'm trying to think if I should say. I don't want to, like, hurt him too much. Uh, so, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give some cliff notes. So, there was another bet that Tom made where he bet on the outcome of a flush happening and another against another well-known professional. I believe it was against Elton, actually. I don't think there's a big deal with that. Elton, well, you'll see. So... There's some big money being bet, like some really big money, and you know, not all of Tom's action was himself. Himself, and he and the other person came along and said, "Are you sure, Tommy, that you're right? Like these guys aren't really just gambling here. I don't think it's Elton and the other guys. There's multiple people betting against Tom." And Tom was like, "No, no, no! I did the math, dude. I did the math. It's right." And it turns out that Tom's math on the the percent chance of a flush hitting was wrong. All he had to do was Google it. And so Elton side did Google it, and they found out that Tom's wrong. I just bet like massive against him and printed huge EV. Um, but uh, you know, Tom also, I guess to his uh, to his credit or apparent credit, he uh, if we're gonna like throw Tom under the bus, we'll also mention a time where Tom was the genius. Uh, There's a couple times actually. Uh, once against True Taller himself, I bet on True Taller's side because. I knew these stories of Tom making mistakes. Uh, Tom Dwan, to, uh, to reiterate. Uh, and True Teller was wrong. And so I bet that True Teller was wrong, was right. You know, the math genius who went to the MIT version of Russia. And somehow Tom was right for that. Then won money off me that way. And Tom bet that he could bet the, beat the limit machine against a bunch of people. And beat, and including myself, and won something like $400,000 or 300-something thousand dollars from me and others in the limit machine and somehow succeeded in beating it in limit hold'em, um, which, uh, I mean, I think he won like 800K plus or whatever it was against <laughs> a whole corporation of people. Somehow, That's I don't impressive. even understand. A limit machine in Las Vegas, it should be pretty good, right? But maybe it's just not very good against actual pros. Maybe it's just good against like random people and makes like big mistakes but yeah tom uh tom had some wins and some losses for some big money uh when math was involved um but uh yeah go ahead with the we're talking about the solvers and how people were not uh yeah when i approach so people um uh, like people are skeptical initially because they never saw a solver before they never heard of a solver before so people are skeptical like how do they know it's correct because uh, I can write code to calculate best response and see uh, how good is it against uh, the Nash equilibrium approximation they can't write code they have to trust me so and right. um, um, what convinced true teller is that uh, solver used uh, uh, a line um, like when you check call flop and then turn card is uh, paired like low card low flop card is paired and there is a gut shot or a flush draw 
and then out of position players, uh, he bets because like he balances trips with uh, semi bluffs, and it was a line that nobody used. But True Teller, in his like he was working on the game and he was slowly, he had a suspicion it should be this line should be used, and then Solver used it. So at that moment, True Teller realized that. Uh, the program is actually quite smart. And what about the others? Um, so Alex Miller was uh, uh, interested actually because he was, uh, at that time he was trying to develop uh, a similar program himself, like he hired some developer, uh, but uh, it wasn't going, going so, so good. But uh, Alex knew that uh, like this should be possible. He knew about University of Alberta papers. That's the uh, uh, University of Alberta has a computer poker lab, and uh, most of the uh, researchers in uh, computer poker they came from University of Alberta. Um, and then, for example, Raúl. Uh, Initially, he was so skeptical that he ignored my um, DM on poker strategy. Uh, but then, after he like started using it, yeah, it started to make sense. So, the another funny thing about uh, selling a solver is that people who are extremely good and uh, who are close to Nash equilibrium already, they are more excited to use the solver because to understand the logic behind solver strategy, you need to be close to it. And I think that's why when I approached some like NL2K players, so at first I approached a couple of my friends who were playing NL2K and they were like, well, how how we're going to use it. It is so random, we don't understand anything. But then uh, when uh, a player of Raul's caliber st starts using it, it, it makes sense to him. The strategy of the solver, it makes sense to him. That makes some sense because it's the further something away, the further away that your own like way of understanding is to something. This actually like draws up a lot of parallels between me and um, actual like ancient texts, by the way. Um, I want to go into that a little bit, just because that's more my ideology, and I think that uh, you know the solver dynamic between poker and the um, and AI actually does reference something in the real world. Uh, it's a bit of a tangent, but um, I want to talk about when I first realized the solvers were useful. Um, it, for me, I kind of always knew that they probably would be, and I already used some logic to exploit my opponents. So I just like looked at the stats and said, okay, they're folding too much in this spot. I'm going to keep exploiting them because I know they're folding too much, and I look at all the spots, and I like break down someone's strategy and do this. This is what I did against Tom. So Tom um, Tom got quite a bit better, actually, but uh, Tom had a lot, of, uh, a lot of spots where really you didn't really need to do something too complicated to see he had some holes in his game. And so I just like kind of looked at that. I mean, I was winning like 57% or some crazy amount of hands against him. How the f he beat me in the challenge? And uh, 
it's just uh, that's kind of my, I think the basis of a lot of my strategy way back in the day was just okay like math says I'm winning money here it looks like I'm winning money it feels like I'm winning money against them okay and then you know the solvers came along they made a lot of sense to me but I, as I said I was lazy to implement them until I got smashed as that does change the tender course of direction and so I started looking and I started realizing and thinking about the lines that I use and I realized holy shit these lines I haven't been using and I could see, you know, with the responses that they gave that you know, by this time I was using PyoSolver and uh, the responses that it gave made loads of sense. And I was like, okay, there's some, there's something here for sure. Um, and that's, I got convinced pretty quickly. And fortunately enough, I went in an upswing like the moment after I started using it. Um, I want to actually draw a parallel to something in the ancient texts of this that's a bit relevant, in fact, because I believe that there is in fact a GTO solution to ethics in life. Uh, and that uh, I kind of discovered in fact that I had my own logic going around the entire time. And I and I had the exact same kind of like relationship of how I learned uh, that there was something in the uh, GTO of the solvers with the sort of something in the GTO of the, um, of the ancient texts. But specifically I wanted to look at Hinduism um, which is more like a real-life application of these uh, theoretical morals. Um, uh, yeah, I I don't know if you agree with me that there's a GTO solution to ethics, but uh, I think there is. I think there's something like, thinking about it more, do you even ag agree with this idea? Um, I think the problem with GTO in, um, in human life, in... Uh, in the real world is that uh, even to write down utility function is mm -hmm. super hard. And if you don't have utility function, you can't reason about GTO. Sure. Um, oh, yeah, yeah it's, gonna and, be, it's much harder, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and to define like utility function and what people actually want and how much they want uh, like money compared to attention compared to safety well, this is the, compared to this in value this in the value loading system or excuse me this in AI is called the value loading system by the way it's just like what do you value so much and um, yeah to solve that is much more difficult um, for sure, and this is kind of why it's quote-unquote unsolvable, but I, I, I still disagree, and I'm not going to get too much into this because it's too complicated of a of a point of view to even like lecture about, but I do want to draw the comparison a little bit just because this was a really striking example for me personally. So I was, uh, and it showed how like the, the way that ethics actually works is often different from how people think it is. You know, there's this story of this ancient like evil evil king in the Hinduism and there's this prophecy that Krishna would be born from his like relatives uh, his like his like uh, nieces um, from his niece and for the longest time this king actually behaved well because everything was good blah 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 you know everyone can be a good person when when things are easy um, everyone can play well can play well when things are easy too it's a similar analogy so at some point you know, it was uh, decided to give him a test of sorts, which was basically a, a a sage came along and basically taunted him and said, oh, like, you think you're better than God himself, blah, 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 and, like, said, oh, like, what, you're just some king, like, 
not really a big deal. And so what happened was the guy went crazy and started just killing everyone and killing all the babies, etc. Um, but because of this, it, uh, it, it, it the ethic, the, because of this, then, um, it was like the start of a new age, but I realized like, okay, it's kind of like when you're playing poker and like, finally, like some bad luck comes around and now you're like, really what's on the inside is tested. And so you see, you show your true colors. It's the same thing as in like a poker analogy of this situation. And, uh, okay, I can see how actually, like, giving someone a test can be, like, an ethical thing to do uh, and a necessary thing to do to, like, really test what's on the inside because you just can't... It's not really appropriate to just run good forever. This isn't how poker life works. So that's when I personally said, okay, maybe there's something here in these ancient texts because this is actually a really smart thing to do and required. But I thought I'd draw that yeah. analogy. It, uh, go ahead. Yeah, I think when AI gets better... Uh, I'm really, uh, I'm personally looking forward to like policy decisions made by AI and uh, if we can encode carefully uh, like what's important for, for us, for people, for every individual human, then uh, mm -hmm. like the, the big AI will be able to optimize that in a, in a very smart and efficient way. Uh, way better than mm -hmm. any human can do, so I think. Oh yeah. It it does it does have uh, huge potential. Same way, so in poker, solvers are uh, solver strategy is uh, way better than humans can do, and uh, mm -hmm. I think eventually it will be it will be applied to real world, and there is a lot of potential. It will be the same way. Uh, the okay. solvers, life solvers uh, yeah, will be yeah. better than I think than so for humans. sure. Um, yeah, I think for a lot of things, um, especially once like a proper moral view is established. But this, uh, I mean, definitely uh, AI can be used both for good and for bad. Depends on the way that the value system is loaded. Uh, but, like that's the biggest thing. I mean, like how can you, I mean, that's also kind of complicated. Like how can you expect to the, the robots to get it right if you can't like tell the robots what to get right in the first place. So it's yes. kind of like, it seems required to get the philosophy correct. But I definitely think, uh, you know, it's all, it's in a lot of sci-fi movies and things like that, all these like ethical dilemmas, all this crazy stuff that AI does. Um, I mean, for sure it can be used for good. Uh, it could definitely be used for bad as well. Be really a crazy world once, once that goes down. I mean, we should uh, talk about like, is there even anywhere in poker where poker players are better than machines like is that is is that still even a thing well uh i think they are actually uh first of all in um so when you're playing poker you have a choice you can try to play gto or you can exploit and if you're playing against um mediocre players or a mix of very good and bad players for example in tournaments uh, mm -hmm. then it is a mistake to play gto uh, you're missing a lot of value uh, and uh, you should exploit and currently uh, solvers can do very little to exploit like you can do things like really? uh, node lock like like if you're playing against an opponent who see bets 100% of the time, 
you can encode that in Solver and uh, calculate an op an Nash equilibrium under this restriction, and it mm -hmm. will be sort of exploit against uh, this player. But otherwise, uh, maybe in some uh, MTC like ICM solvers, maybe you can uh, like fine tune your opponents and say this guy is loser than uh, way he plays way way more loose and this guy plays tighter but overall uh, solvers are quite bad at exploiting at the moment and like how do you even yeah how do you even encode it you because human can understand what other human is doing and like model it and exploit it but a solver can't even model hmm I mean, that's interesting. I'm surprised why can't it model? Like, it seems as though AI is capable of kind of anything. Like, modeling doesn't seem like it's that difficult of a thing. It doesn't seem like something beyond its reach. It's, uh, it's quite difficult, actually, because uh, mm, you see very few showdowns. Um, you see like frequencies of his actions you can do something but it's uh it's very hard i have something that i personally do that that uh i just don't see why it can't be done uh so there was an interesting podcast with noam brown uh the maker of uh, uh pluribus and uh libratus and mm -hmm. um he also did he, cre he created an AI that plays um, Diplomacy. Uh, it's a multiplayer board game. And one of the goals was to create an AI which behaves um, human-like. Because when initially uh, he created an AI that uh, plays perfectly, but uh, Diplomacy is a multiplayer game and uh, in some situations, uh, like it, the AI, it it was behaving uh, very. It was very annoying, and people just uh, teamed <laughs> up on it and uh, uh, just killed them. People so, are just like this guy. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, so it's they, playing yeah, annoying, it's... annoying GTO style, like annoying GTO diplomacy. Diplomacy. Yeah, 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 because, um, well, uh, actually, so the example he gave is that in diplomacy, there is a point of the game when one player becomes uh, a huge threat and it is important for everyone else to team up against him. Otherwise, oh. at some point, there is point of no return. If one player controls more than half of all territories, then uh, he will defeat everyone. And uh, But GTO, so in this phase of the game, when everyone teams up against the biggest player, GTO is to fight against the biggest player, um, but fight like to make sure, um, 
you need to contribute enough to the victory against the biggest player, but uh, in the meantime, you can also uh, attack your neighbors and uh, take small pieces here and there if it doesn't hurt the, uh, the grand goal of defeating the biggest guy. But humans don't do that. And humans get extremely annoyed if uh, if a player does that, like because everyone is supposed to be allied, uh, but uh, GTO is not allied. <laughs> that's so funny. So wait, that's kind of weird, actually. Uh, it's as if the players aren't like perfectly allied, and that's what you're supposed to be. You're supposed to like be kind of uh, neutral, I guess, and just like conquer territories in the meantime so you're supposed to like kind of play a balanced strategy the entire time it sounds like i'm saying like it, it's not like there's it looks like there's not former alliances formal alliances if it's just ai's battling they kind of always in like a, a state of maybe we're allied maybe we're not like kind of thing they're always like playing yeah games. yes <laughs> yes that's interesting okay uh just people aren't like too happy about that they're just like make the ai the AI makes them mad, and the AI is like, and they're like, people are just they're thinking, "Fuck you, AI! We can't know if we trust you. We gotta take you out." You're too uh, annoying. I can tell you that uh, looking at some things, it looks like the EV differences between strategies that are like not GTO or very close to GTO isn't that different. So at least in theory, many strategies are viable that the AI doesn't necessarily take. And I can tell you one thing that I personally do, which is like a bit similar to mass data analysis. Um, I realized, but it's like I just build an intuition of what poker players do in general and what they don't do because there's a number of patterns that exist that are very, very difficult to, in poker players, very, very difficult to quantify unless you like really rewrite the way that you're taking in data. Like if you're taking into account the, into account the psychology of what's going on, um, in which case uh, there you can find some really big exploits and I've used some things for quite a while and they seem pretty reliable. But basically, a lot of what, I mean, going back to what I do personally, I look at a lot of what the population does, which can only be gamed by getting a lot of experience, right? And that there is such a thing such as mass data analysis that does look at these things. Um, but uh, yeah, and I create like counter strategies to the default a lot of the time. Um, unless I just know like someone's knows what I know or whatever it is that makes me think maybe I should deviate straight away. Um, I mean, I would think that AI could do that, especially in cooperation with mass data analysis. Don't you think so? Is there much? Do you know anything about uh, MDA? Mm, so we personally did uh, two things to exploit. One is to calculate Nash equilibrium under restriction, like uh, sometimes you know your opponent's preflop ranges and then you know that uh, he c-bets 100% of the time so you can calculate Nash equilibrium under those restrictions and uh, another thing that we did is uh, uh, to calculate percentage of bluffs um, actually uh, let's move on to draw so, after the holdem, uh, uh, oh, there's draw solvers. Uh, is that what you're telling yes. me? Yes, 
Yes, yes, triple oh. draw oh, fixing what a surprise. and solar. <laughs> what uh, a surprise. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, so when uh, when we made uh, the deal about Hold'em Solver, True Teller told me that uh, there is huge value in solving triple draw. Uh, he said, uh, you can make a million dollars if you, if you make it. And uh, I thought at the moment, so for a second, I had like an euphoric rush because I knew that True Teller is serious and uh, like he knows what he's talking about. He's the True and Teller, think, of course. <laughs> the guy's name is True Teller. <laughs> yeah, and I think, oh, million dollars. Like I never... Well, you I hear never, that from the True Teller. Yeah, I never <laughs> was close to a million dollars myself. And then uh, I created it. And uh, so True Teller and uh, Raul started uh, studying with it. And uh, it was actually a huge success story uh, because, uh, like, when I make a Hold'em solver and I sell it to people who were extremely good anyway, uh, it's hard to measure progress. But with Triple Draw, mm. they were clueless. Like, they didn't know how to play the game when they started really? using Solver. Uh, and then they learned from it. And they uh, they became the best in the world. Like, uh, Raul was uh, sitting in 2K, 4K lobby. So they fought against uh, um, some pros... They played against Gus, and after a year or maybe a year and a half, Raul was sitting in the lobby and uh, nobody dared to play him. Uh, yeah, yeah, I knew about this. Uh, I believe Raul's not the best in the world at triple draw, but I'm not sure. Or at least uh, Who do you he's think one of the, is best. the best. I know that. I don't know. I just, I just remember him telling me that he didn't think he was the best, but he was close. I know that. Well, he's a um, humble guy. Yeah, maybe maybe he was. Well, it's better to be humble than than arrogant. Uh, turns out. You look well, at you need the balance, the right? Well, perfect you balance is you know exactly where you are. Yes. Right, and you don't you don't uh, take take what to, I mean. You can kind of like estimate what uh, the GTO of uh, arrogance versus humility looks like. You can see where the pattern goes. Um, but yeah, I don't know exactly where you are. So, um, uh, okay, that's uh, that's a bit of a big topic. Uh, I would have thought uh, there's not that much EV in um, Limit Deuce to Seven Ring, or did, was this only for Heads Up that you're talking about? I know Heads Up is like not that obvious, not that hard to figure out. Yeah, it's solvable. What I mean, no shit, it's solvable. It's like pure math game. Um, I mean, <laughs> I even had uh, well some attempts before running into you, but we were wrong about some things. Uh, I mean, uh, of course it is solvable uh, in 2024, but in 2014, like people, there were no public solvers for Hold'em. And uh, draw is, um, well, in a way it's a more complicated game because, because you change cards. Um, and um, you know which cards you discarded, but your opponent doesn't. Your opponent only knows how many cards you discarded. So 
in a way it is more complicated than Hold'em. And uh, mm -hmm. the most of the value was in heads-up games. Um, there was some ring action going on, um, but my solver was only for one versus one. Uh, you could apply it to ring games, for example, well, for... Um, Well, for situations when the game becomes uh, heads up uh, and uh, you would need to define uh, preflop ranges or you would have to define open range on a ring and then uh, uh, the solver would calculate optimal uh, big blind defend range. Mm. Okay, I mean, uh, I know that, uh, yeah, you can break it down in a bunch of little games. I mean, it would not be a fun pro. Well, maybe it's fun for you, I don't know. But it would it'd be kind of a tough process uh, to break it down to a bunch of little games. Like, that would be my first thought to applying this. I took computer science, actually, for a little bit. Uh, but, uh, you know, poker was a little bit more fun and more lucrative. Um, yeah, anything? What else can you say about the limit to seven? What kind of figures are we talking about? Um, I, uh, yeah, I think, uh, did, did you succeed in making your million dollars beating with this, uh, solver? Did yeah, you, I kind actually of did. So can you talk about, huh? For a while, for a while I had a 40% share, uh, in, uh, my customers' results and, um, yeah, they made millions and, um, yeah, so my share it was it started at forty percent and then it was going down. Um, yeah, eventually, eventually I made my million. And uh, uh, one interesting thing we had to do, uh, we called it indirect share, because uh, so we agreed in principle that I should have forty percent of their action. But they were playing 2K, 4K, and my bankroll at that moment was around uh, 100K. So uh, <laughs> I cannot have 40% share from that game. And on the other uh, hand, like, even if we could estimate the value that the solver brings and ask them to pay me that, like fixed amount, um, it would, uh, like, there would be too much variance, right? Because as mm -hmm. we start, how much, how, much, how much is it worth? Like, let's say we can say that it is worth on average $1 million, but then they pay me that and there is no action and they, they are out of $1 million. And on the other extreme, extreme um, if there is a ton of action and they win 20 million, then, well, it will be too little. So uh, we came up with a pretty complicated structure. So every six months, we would uh, look at uh, hand histories and, uh, well, write down list of opponents true teller had and uh, how many hands he played against each of them and then we would estimate his win rate 
against uh, each of them, not realized win rate, but true win rate. And then given this information, we ask ourselves, so if true teller pays me a percentage of his winnings uh, at the end of these six months, but he receives nothing if he lost at the end of his of uh, six months, what should be the percentage that um, that leads to me receiving forty percent so, of value? Well, let's explain it um, in a simpler way. Just basically, well, it, it sounded like you had a share of the action such that it would be about forty percent of the value, and uh, but it negated your risk in this. Um, so like it, it worked out so that it was calculated differently so that you're not risking quite as much but uh but he basically just got 40 percent of the true value that's that's all it is really it sounds like right yes but uh the point is we decided what what percentage of realized value i get post factum after we know how many hands he played against every opponent sure okay because, for example, if he played uh, 500 hands against uh, another uh, strong professional, then uh, even if we, if I would, like, let's say he is uh, almost break even against someone, mm -hmm. and then yeah. I get, uh, let's say, 10% when he wins and and I pay zero when he loses, then... I may have like 100% of his uh, uh, value with my 10% uh, free roll share. But sure. then, okay. if well, that's he's an playing... interesting way to do things. I mean, that would be useful for people who can't afford it but would like to take a share and provide some value other in another way. Yeah. Okay, so it'd be really interesting to, to uh, show your model somehow in written form. Um, as a payment suggestion for other people who are who want to take a share but don't have the role. I mean, it should be a mitigated yeah. share, of course, because I mean, you're not taking the actual risk. Um, I don't know exactly how it would work, but yeah, that's something to uh, to follow up on. Uh, it's a. Uh, I remember you saying that uh, you had quite a bit of success from this, uh, and that you had um, had the money kind of affected you in some kind of negative way. Is that the case? Well. Um... I wouldn't wouldn't say money affected me in a neg in a negative way, but uh, mm, my net worth increased very quickly. Uh, in 2012, uh, I was playing poker professionally, and my bankroll was around 20k. And then uh, at the end of 2014. Um, I had, uh, it was close, it was close, well, maybe in 2015, it was around million dollars, like actual money plus money uh, they owed, um, and um, it actually takes, like, I didn't know what to do with all this money. 
and I was just living as I lived before and uh, I didn't spend much and I thought that I am a very, I'm a good, humble and frugal, uh, responsible man and like... <laughs> Be and oh look like I have uh, I'm set for life I don't need to work anymore and well, uh, you need to win like you need really a lot for that buddy um, huh? <laughs> a million dollars is not enough for that Certainly yeah it depends it. Uh, yeah it depends okay maybe not for life but uh, close to it like as, like I was living in Moscow and uh, it's way cheaper than than the US yeah. um, and uh the problem with that is uh, like I lost any motivation to work or like learn new things or like do anything. Oh. Like I played, oh. I played Dota like in 2014. I played 2,000 hours of Dota, and uh, like it was. Oh. Uh, it I don't. Know. I mean, I. This this problem I didn't uh, I did not have by the way, but um, well I did have it a little bit, but not a hundred percent. More like I didn't know where to aim my efforts, but I did want to do something, and uh, yeah, I didn't. I, for me, it, it it went for a bit of a different route actually. Uh, like what partly what ended up happening with me was I got my heart broken, and this made me work on myself in all kinds of different ways. Um, so that like helped more on like the human side of things rather than the purely technical. Um, but for the purely technical for myself, I just had this, uh, I can tell you what went through my mind, but it's not going to be the same for everyone. Uh, there's two different uh, things, uh, but one was that that what I was doing wasn't necessarily aimed in, an, it's aimed in more of a neutral direction, not exactly positive. But the bigger thing was that I had this idea in my head to... Um, idea in my head that I want to do something good with poker but at some point it hit me that well wait making money by itself seems like kind of an arbitrary currency to aim for because other than you know once that you get everything that you want at some point you're, you realize well wait the, the process of making money and it seems like making a positive impact and the process of making money are not are just one and the same they're just you know one's aimed towards positive impact versus whatever but the positive impact lasts it goes on the money does not and so it seems that that was a more a more uh, potent or excuse me that that to me was really compelling to, to do some things beyond that but uh, a lot of it was actually um, kind of innate in a way I mean I still think the idea of doing games and playing poker actually does lead towards the kinds of things that can be done um, I don't know if it did anything change for you. Two things. Uh, first, if I'm getting paid for something, it gives me a feeling of uh, mm, meaning and doing something useful. Because, like, if I do something and I get paid peanuts, then. Uh, Am I doing anything <laughs> useful? Like, if other people are not giving me money for this, then the the work I've done is not important. Uh, so that's uh, one aspect of it. And another one is... Um, 
I think it's uh, and second thing, uh, it helps to spend more money to get like some taste from it and uh, like to get something pleasant and useful for yourself. And uh, sure. uh, once I do that, I. Um, I want to work again and I want to make more money and actually say well, huh? Uh yeah, and like when if your spending habits are so low that you're set for life or for for thirty years, like what is the reason to do anything? Like oh, and, I see. but if uh like if you know this is not forever money are going to run out uh then it gives a nice push i i wake up and i think okay what what stuff i can do next i i need to do something i cannot be asleep anymore sure um yeah and then actually third thing is that when I think the reason I was uh, like stopping myself um, was that I wasn't ready to admit that there are way more successful people out there like players, businessmen, researchers, other solver makers, uh, like people who did uh, the public, uh, like for example, uh, uh, GTO wizard guys, like they have amazing product, amazing algorithms. I heard they make a shit ton of money. And uh, it is sort of, it is almost, well, it is very humbling to to realize that and uh, like uh, to realize that even after I leveled up and I have a million dollars, like I'm still uh, not the richest, not the smartest and uh, it will take many, many years and a lot of risk to like to even approach that and um well, not necessarily if you find ways to leverage it um yeah so i was living in my shell and uh, like playing playing computer games all day long uh to avoid like to to avoid that humbling feeling i don't know if that makes sense no, it makes sense. I mean, it depends on... Uh, well, first of all, I don't think that that's true. I mean, it makes sense, though. Uh, I can feel as though... Well, I mean, that's always the case, really. I mean, you could, you know, achieve f***ing 50 million or whatever it is and then look at guys like, uh, you know, these billionaires or whatever and think, shit, I'll never be there or whatever. I mean, there's many... Like, it's not... like The feeling doesn't go away. I could have looked at this when you were, like, before... Like, if you looked at situations before... You know the true the uh, Liberty Seven situation might have looked like that too. I mean, it's, hard, it's impossible to predict where things go. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, certainly, I feel like 
half the time doing all these crazy things thinking, shit, I'm not going to like succeed. But, um, you know, that makes some sense or quite a bit of sense. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's one of the things to get around. I mean, the thing that does motivate me quite a lot is I just can't argue with the logic that the only way to actually do succeed is to keep trying, right? So the only, the, you know, the more you play like video games or whatever, the more, uh, well, not the more, I mean, up to a certain point, it's not like you think, I don't think it's even good to quit them entirely, but, um, I mean, definitely at some point they become minus EV towards the actual goals. It's possible to know. That's just what that worked. That made sense for me to motivate me. But uh, totally, it's uh, I can feel super overwhelming that you know you always compare. I think, oh, like these guys are so smart. Uh, they're not as smart as they seem. But um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I mean, a lot of the stuff that you're talking about, I find uh, I don't know if I could have ever programmed any of this shit. If I became like a programmer, I think a lot of the stuff, uh, even, I think it's super impressive to have like, made stuff in like 2013, 2014 that worked really well, um, actually. And, uh, I mean, you, uh, seemed like you, like, did some stuff that was kind of groundbreaking for the area. Like, um, what, uh, I know that you did, uh, some stuff in uh, CFR and neural-based um, solvers as well. Is this related to Limit Deuce to 7? Um, so, uh, all stuff I did was uh, CFR-based. Um, I didn't what use does this any... Mean? Oh, I, I, so... I just, just, I... Yeah, what yeah, does yeah. this mean? Yeah, so, go ahead. Yeah, so contrafactual Tell, regret minimization... Like... Uh, is uh, an algorithm. It was published in 2007. And uh, yeah, it's an algorithm uh, which can be applied to poker. I believe it was designed uh, specifically for poker. Um, and uh, it doesn't use any neural networks. And uh, the algorithm is guaranteed to converge to come to a good result after uh, a number of iterations. Um, and well, there are many uh, variants of that algorithm, and uh, like you need to find a way to apply it to every. Um, you need to implement it separately for each game and uh, mm -hmm. also poker games are very big and you cannot solve raw triple draw fixed limit you need to make assumptions like you need to group some hands together um, oh, I see. yeah and uh, and you need to group them carefully so uh, because if you don't, then the solution will be uh, inaccurate. I think it'd be interesting to hear, like, do you think there's other other kinds of solvers out there uh, besides Deuce to 7, uh, maybe like Limit, like Pot Limit, or not Pot Limit, um, Single Draw, like that kind of stuff. Maybe yeah, you can surely solve, well, Single Draw is easier than Triple Draw. 
so single draw heads up is easy. Um, for six max games, it's tricky. Uh, I think a no limit single draw six max is doable. Triple draw six max, uh, it's harder. Uh, well, I'm, there should be a way to solve any game, but uh, like triple draw six max is pretty hard. Um, yeah, no limit, like six max is solved. Uh, I think Omaha six, six hmm. max uh, should be more or less solved, should be more or less solved as well. Yeah, it is, uh, it's nice to verify, like, you know, in 2015, uh, Solver came out or, or something similar, and it was uh, the moment of truth when we compared my solutions with Solver, and uh, really, yeah. I was pretty sure, yes, I was, we were pretty sure that my solutions are correct, but it was nice to, uh, to verify and see that they, they match perfectly. And uh, it was the same with open face Chinese uh, when, uh, yeah, you know, it's it's a nice feeling to confirm that all the hard work and all these layers of algorithms and optimizations and assumptions, they all come together and uh, they produce the precise result. I'm out of time for now, but it's been great having you, Oleg. And uh, yeah, having your having insights me. into the world of solvers and poker and seeing where what AI is really capable of doing. I do have one more question, if you could answer briefly. Do you think AI could help stop cheating? Help stop bots itself uh, and stuff like that? Or where, yeah, I mean, I think botting is often cheating when it's against the service and like minimally the gray area or the minimally the point where it's not. Yeah, the spirit uh, of the game. I mean, you. If you want to catch someone who is using solver during the game, uh, you need to have your own solver. And then, yeah, you can c compare, uh, like, uh, you can compare uh, the quality of the moves. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, if you don't have your own solver, it's impossible. Like, how do you know? Uh, and. Uh, and for bots, well, there are different methods. Uh, you can do some, well, the most basic one is um, some statistical stuff, uh, if there are many accounts playing similarly. And uh, there is more advanced stuff. Uh, and I think it's, uh, it's important to discuss that be behind the closed doors because if, uh, if, I, if uh, we do it, publicly, then the bot makers, they are watching this and they will adapt. So, mm -hmm. um, uh, oh, like interesting. Okay. if, if, uh, if anyone out there is looking to make their platform safer, or if there is community effort to, to detect bots and to exploit them, uh, I'm available for consultations and, uh, I can help. Okay. That's uh, good to know. Okay. All right, guys. We'll reach out to Oleg uh, for for some solver work. Uh, sounds like for just a seven and uh, other 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 kinds of queries and uh, 
helping to stop cheating, that'd be really great as well. And um, yeah, let's uh, see if we can get the algorithm you mentioned for creating the indirect piece. That would be really useful for people. Maybe. Yeah, I need to. Uh, I need to do a. Uh, a, a I need to do a write up about that. Yeah, please. Uh, actually, I would like. I would be interested in that because I have a similar kind of problem. All right. Well, thank you, Oleg. Thank you, Dan.